Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. My purpose this morning in meeting with you and teaching is to teach about discipleship, what new believers need to know, and what old believers need to know. Those maybe not chronologically old, but been in the Lord a long time. And I have a peculiar, though I think very biblical perspective, that discipleship is more than the knowledge of Scripture. It's like knowledge of Scripture is knowing what's on the menu. And we mistake knowledge of Scripture for being from ordering from the menu. It's good to know where it's at on the menu, but have you ordered from the menu? Have you experienced what it says is ours? And uh, in Matthew chapter 20, it's one of the most famous passages in the Bible. It's called the Great Commission. And it talks about you'll go into all the disciples are going to go into all the nations are going to make the disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're all familiar with that. But, but there's a comma there. And then it says, and teaching them to observe, obey, or do, different ways it's translated, all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And when you go to the Gospels and you look up the times Jesus actually commanded his disciples in the sense of sending them out, what was the commission? The commission of the 12, the commission of the 70 or the 72. At the top, heal the sick, preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, and cast out demons. This is the core foundational aspects of following Jesus. And I want to, this message today in these two parts, help remove some of the obstacles and fear that people have of stepping out and praying for somebody. The sense of feeling, I'm not qualified. I'm not holy enough. God won't answer my prayers. The conditions necessary for healing are not present either in their life or my life. I want to deal with all those. My goal, I remember I was preaching this in um, Santiago, Chile, and my assistant was traveling with me at the time, said, Randy, I can take that message of yours and reduce it to one sentence. I said, no, you can't. He said, I can. I said, okay, what is it? He said, basically what you're teaching is this. More people will be healed when more Christians pray for healing. You see, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 and 13, that when Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to the church, some of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for, here's the purpose, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So our role is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So I'd like for you to say this after me, and we'll repeat it three times. I'd like for you to watch for the inflection of tone of voice and... uh, Um, speak out with a rather louder voice. God can use little old me. God can use little old me. God can use little old me. 
if you believe that more at the end of the message than you do right now, then I've been successful in preaching this message. And if you don't, then I failed. <laughs> you know, uh, looking at the scripture um, in the ending of the gospel of Mark, it talks about, and these signs will accompany those who believe. It doesn't say these signs will accompany the apostles. It doesn't say these signs will accompany the 12. It's these signs will accompany those who believe. And it says, in my name, they'll drive out demons. It lists a whole bunch of things. And at the very bottom, it says, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. In the gospel of John, in chapter 14 and verse 12, and I'm just looking at these passages that makes it really clear that this aspect of discipleship is not limited to the elders. If any of you are sick, let them call for the elders. And I believe that the elders should have a special grace and gifting for physical healing, more so than the average person in church because of the office that they are in. But that doesn't relieve the rest of us and many people have spent a long time in church but have never prayed for anybody uh, to be healed. And I, I want to tell you, it is exciting. It, it, the fact, matter of fact, I have a new book coming out in just June or August, I forget when, but it's called Intimacy with God. And here's the bottom line. I don't think we can teach you, I get accused of this, you teach people that they can, go, they can learn how to heal if they go to your schools or go to our school of ministry. And I said, that's really a misunderstanding. What we teach is about how to have intimacy with God, learn to hear from God, recognize the ways of God so that we can co-labor with God and only God can heal, none of us can heal. So I'm gonna say, you can't heal. And I, don't, I tell my teams, we go all over the world. And I usually, we've taken 5,000 people in, internationally with us and almost 90% 90, 90 of the teams are always lay people. Only 10% are usually pastors. And what's amazing, regardless of denomination, where they come from, that they actually see, 100% of them see people get healed when they pray, even though some of them have never prayed for anybody. Anyway, John 14, 12 says, this is Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth, anyone, would you say that after me? Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Now, one of the reasons why we as believers and followers of Jesus should believe that we are supposed to pray, not in a sense of a guilt, I'm not trying to guilt you, but in a sense of privilege and opportunity and excitement to know that the God of the universe can work with us and through us and communicate to us. And we don't have to be an apostle. We don't have to be, you know, the, the, the pastor or even an elder. God can use all of us. And the greatest, I, I, I believe that one of the greatest calling cards that God wanted the church to have as far as how to lead someone to Jesus is in the time of their need to just reach out and say, I'm a Christian, I believe that God still heals today, can I pray for you? 
I did that for a year. I fried donuts for a year to start a church. And I wanted to see this grand experiment. Can lay people say, I'm a Christian? I never told them I had been a pastor for years. I just said, I'm a Christian. I believe that God still heals today. You know, I never got turned down once. And everybody I prayed for, for a solid year, every one of them was an unbeliever. And I saw God heal almost every one of them. And it brought some of them to the Lord. It's real easy to evangelize when people have experienced the mercy, the grace, and the power of God. Now, I'm going to speak about five principles that are true. That was the introduction. (laughs) I'm going to speak on five principles that are true. And they're biblical. And I'm not going to read the scriptures for interest of time. I'm just going to tell you where they're at. And if you want to take a note, you can look them up later. Because I do want you to know everything I'm talking about is straight out of the scriptures and solidly biblical. But I won't have time to deal with it. Normally, I will go into a lot of things trying to deal with these scriptures, but I won't. We're just going to basically deal with the principle and tell the stories. Now, in homiletics, learning how to preach, we're taught that you make a point and then you illustrate the point, and the illustration is to support the point. Amen? You're used to that, right? Okay, I'm going to tell you up front, every one of my stories is going to contradict my point. Because if I don't tell you that, you're going to be confused. What's this guy doing? He's nuts. He gives a point and then he contradicts the point. Because I'm going to say this, all these principles, all five of them, I'm going to give two this morning in first service and three in the second, uh, because they usually go longer on the first two, um, that they're true and they are biblical. But I'm going to contradict them because if they're a principle and they're not a law, if they're a law, you can't break it. And if you turn it into a law, you know what? In the Old Testament, the law was meant for good. Paul said it's meant for good purposes. But the enemy took it and brought death. That which was meant to bring life brought death to me. And it's what we call the Satan means accuser. He's really good at accusing. He accuses us. And in the accusation, if we will believe his accusation, when the condition necessary or that makes healing more likely is not being met. And if you turn that into law, then you have no expectation in that context that God will heal. And what my, I only have one, I don't have five points this morning. I only have one. I got five principles and one point that trumps every one of them. No, no pun intended there. And that one point is this. More important than these five points I'm going to give you is grace. When we minister in healing, we stand, what John Wimber called, on the rug of peace. I call the rug of peace, I, for me, it's the rug of grace. And so we minister out of grace. And when we expect, even though a condition's not being met, and the two conditions I'm going to deal with in this are going to be faith and sin in their life. We're often told that these are the two main things that can block a healing, and they can, particularly if it's in a believer that's in rebellion against God. But if you believe sin can block a healing, how much faith will you have for somebody that's lost to be healed? And yet I've found that one of the easiest places to see people get healed is when you're dealing with the poor and the lost. And if you're dealing with the poor who are lost, That's where we saw, have seen 
the, the most healing. So the principle of the scripture about faith is uh, Matthew 9.22 and 9.29. Your faith has made you whole. Be it done to you according to your faith. Uh, Matthew 21.21, 21, uh, which talks about if you have faith and do not doubt, you can speak to this mountain and be removed and then put it in the sea, which is a parallel to uh, Mark 11, uh, 21 through 24. I don't have time to go into it, but many, some translations, I found six English translations that says instead of have faith in God, it actually says, the, these six translations says, have faith of God. Now, I believe that's the better translation. I uh, don't have time to work it out, but I will say this. Most people I know who uh, know Greek well enough to be involved in translating the Bible know almost nothing about praying for the sick. And so their context of, and it, because in the Greek, it can be translated either way. And you can only tell by context which way it should be. And there are times it, it is, I think it's very clear, Matthew 21, 21, for example, it's much more clear, it's have faith in God. But in Mark, it makes have faith of God. So how, why is that important? Because this type of faith that moves mountains is a gift. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. And when it comes, you don't have to work it up. And you rest in it because you know, because of the revelation that God has given to you when we learn the ways of God. You know, like, for example, trying to make this easy to understand. If you're sharing the gospel to someone that's not saved, and as you talk to them about the cross and repentance and the need to confession and all, and they start to cry, do you get excited that this person might be ready to come to Jesus? Do you feel like, do you, does your faith rise that I'm, I'm going to get to lead this person to Jesus if in the sharing of the gospel they begin to just see the tears flow? You've learned how to read one of the ways of God. You've learned how to recognize that's a sign that God's Spirit is drawing this person and it gives you faith. There are also signs just like that when you're praying for someone's physical need that are also signs that encourage you that the Spirit of God, you're, you, you are literally in this very moment co-laboring with God and he's about to do something. So having said that, and the second one will be uh, sin in their life, it can block to the man in, in uh, for example, in uh, Mark chapter 2, the latter part of verse 5, he said, my, he's coming down through the ceiling, they're taking the tiles off, lowering him down, said, my son, your sins are forgiven. And I believe in that moment, Jesus understood that this was a block, this sense of guilt was a block for his healing, in my opinion. And that's why he said that, because it's not, it's not usually what he did, but he did in, in, in this case, um, which I do believe that it, it can be true. So having laid out these two principles and scripture for them, I now want to illustrate them by contradicting them. When I started my church in St. Louis, we took, we, we liked to minister to the poor and we would take food to the poor and I would go to the food bank and uh, I would ask, I want you to give me the names of people, a certain age group, because I felt like they would be most attracted to the new church I was starting and who don't have a church. I want you give, don't give me the names of people who are really, have an affiliation with any church. I want to go to the lost. And so I already knew when I went that everybody I'm going to, they don't have a church. They don't know, they don't claim to be a Christian. 
And uh, so I went to this person and we had two women who was tra- going with me because, you know, if you're going, if you're a pastor, you don't want to go into a woman's house or apartment by yourself. It, you know, it would be inappropriate, you know, some of those reasons. So I had a couple of ladies from my church was with me and we went in this, and this young woman, she's 25 years old. She was um, christened as a baby in a Lutheran church. She had never been back to church since. Her parents never took her back after the christening. And the only prayer she knew was, now lay me down to sleep. And she didn't know how to finish it. That's all she knew of it. And, and when I heard her, you know, you have to share things about help providing need for them, public assistance and things. And, but then we get to the end of the survey is that you didn't have a church. Is there a reason why? And then you find out a lot. This young woman is 25 years old. She was dying of a brain tumor the size of my fist that was located right here. The doctors had told her, make out your will. There's nothing more we can do. Our treatments are not going to be able. You are terminal. You only have so many months, a few months left, actually. There's only a few months left to live. You have a a five-year-old daughter, a seven-year-old daughter. She had never been married, and she had been living with a man and the man that she'd been living with out of wedlock stole her car, emptied her bank account, and ran off. And she's dying. Have we established the fact that there could be a sin issue here? Yes. And if I'd made a law out of this, I would not have had faith that God would heal her. But my faith is in the grace of God, and my faith is in you don't know what's going to happen. There's this, this sovereignty you don't understand either that, you know, you never know until you pray and wait what God is going to do. And, and so um, I start to, I ask her, hey, and by the way, I need to share something. At this point, I haven't seen very many people get healed. I have no reputation of having a gift or anointing for healing. I'm, I'm pushing on it. I, I really believe in it. And we've had a breakthrough, but still, I feel, well, I'll just finish the story. So I, uh, I said, can I pray for you? Now, all of you, I want to tell you something. You have an advantage right now because the average person in America, if a Christian asks them, can I pray for you? They're thinking you're going to put them on a prayer list and you're going to pray for them when you get back to church. So they're not expecting you when they give you permission to start to pray for them right then. So you you can ambush them. (laughs) So I said, can I pray for you? She said, yes. So I start to put my hands on her. She said, what are you doing? I said, well, you just told me I could pray for you. She said, I didn't mean right now. I don't want you to pray for me here. Wait till you go to your church and pray for me. And I said, you know, I believe it's possible to see people healed at a distance. But at this point in my life, I've never seen that happen. That's PhD level praying for the sick. I'm in kindergarten. And I I have faith, if you'd let me pray for you now, that it's possible you could get healed. But I honestly don't have enough faith (laughs) to pray for you at a distance because I I have yet to see that happen. One day, I'll have that kind of faith. But that's not where I'm at right now. So she said, okay, you can pray for me. So I said, please close your eyes. No. 
There's nothing really that necessary about closing your eyes, except I get nervous if you're looking at me. It just makes me nervous if I'm looking at you, you know. And so I lean, come over to the side and put my hands like this, and the temple ladies are helping me pray for, and, 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 and we start to pray. And within seconds, she says, my head's tingling. I said, oh, that's good. And she turned and said, you are really weird. <laughs> and I, we continued praying. And she said, now there's heat in my head. All over my head. It's getting hot. I said, well, that's really good. And she said, you're really weird. And then she just starts talking to me. Now, I have this opinion that it's easier for people to receive healing if they just focus on their body and what God's doing. So I tell people when I'm praying for you, please don't pray when I'm praying for you. It, like, it, I, I know there's a strong word of faith heritage here, but I, if I'm praying for somebody word of faith, I say, you know, I know you know that you were healed at the cross 2,000 years ago, and I, but I want you to expect it not two days from now, but I want you to expect your healing right now. And so I, I don't even want you to say, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it, receive it, receive it, receive it. I just want you to believe and receive. And I want you to pay attention with expectation that God could do it right now. If they're Pentecostal, I tell them, you know, pray in tongues afterwards. Right now, I need you to pay attention to your body because I'm expecting something to happen. And, uh, and so the point is, sometimes I don't want them to do anything else but just expecting. So much so that I tell them, you might... 50% of the people get healed, they feel heat or energy. The other 50%, it's actually a little more than that, they, um, they don't. So anyway, uh, the point was, now she's talking to me, and I'm thinking, man, she's losing focus. I mean, this, she's going to mess this thing up, and I'm getting anxious and nervous. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I didn't hear a voice, but just like an impression. And this is what he said. I still remember this all these years later. This was 1987 when this happened. Um, and, and I'm thinking, oh, God, she's going to mess this up. She needs to shut up. She needs to just <laughs> focus. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, don't worry about it. This one's on me. <laughs> Nothing she does is going to stop this from happening. And so I just kind of relaxed a little bit, and we're just playing... And, and, and that happened for several minutes, and then it ended, it lifted. We went back every two weeks, took food to her every two weeks, and we prayed for her about four times every time that happened. And then she called me and said, I don't need any more help. don't need any more food. I found out later, being translated, it meant another man moved in. So we're really establishing, you know, there is a sin issue here. But grace triumphs. Don't make a law out of a principle because the moment you do, you will not expect healing in that context. Years later, I see her. Did you hear that? Years later. You know, I saw her at the food bank where I was going to get some more food, take some people. And, you know, it's, 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 it's inappropriate to yell at people in public. But she was about from here to the, to the camera there, or to the stage, or the booth. I saw her, and her first name was Terry. I said, Terry, you're alive. <laughs> and she looked at me, her eyes bugged, and she walked as fast as she got over me. And she said, don't you yell at people in public? Don't you have any manners? Don't you know? I said, I know, I know, I know I shouldn't have done that, but you're supposed to be dead. 
and you're alive. And she said, you know, this is where I'm going to prove the other point about faith. She said, you know, I always wondered about that. I said, well, tell me what happened. Well, I was supposed to get worse and worse and worse and die. I mean, I had a terminal uh, condition and I, I didn't, I kept getting better. And after a while, the doctor wanted me to come in and they did a full uh, scan of my body for, because the tumors here had metastasized to her breast and they were also in the uh, abdominal area. And she just had cancer all over, fourth stage cancer spread, metastasized all over her body. And uh, she said, I was supposed to get better. They did this test. They couldn't find any cancer in me at all. And then she said, I always wondered if it had anything to do with you guys praying for me. <laughs> you know, what bothers me, sometimes Christians won't give a testimony after God's healed them. This woman was a sinner. And we've all, we were all sinners at one time. I asked her, I said, Terry, I'm teaching a new, I'm, I'm training a new ministry team. Would you come and give your story of how you were healed? And she said, as a sinner, yes. And one of the things that frustrates me so much is when a sinner will come and give their story, but believers sometimes won't. See, the way Jesus said the Father is glorified is by him answering our prayers. He, he actually died. One of the main reasons he died was so that we could be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's one of the main reasons he died. He just didn't die so that we could get to heaven. He died so that the power of heaven could get in us. He's our model. He's the captain of our faith, Hebrews says. So in what way can Jesus, because he was God, he was also man. He was the incarnation of God in, in humanity. How can he be our model? I don't want to go into too much detail. And so I would say some people say it was because he emptied himself and he did everything he did on earth in his humanity, including his miracles. It's called the canonic theory in Philippians 2. But, the, but most of the churches rejected that and said, well, he did his miracles in his deity in his tiredness and all this, his humanity. And that's the orthodox view. Bill Johnson and I and Wimber and many others have uh, often taught for many, many years the, the view from Philippians 2, the canonic view. He did it by the Holy Spirit. But I realized that it's actually more correct orthodox orthodoxy. And either way will work. Jesus is still our model to say that it's not taking credit or anything away from Jesus and his unique ministry when we actually believe what he said. Anyone who believes in me will do what I've done and even greater things than these shall he do because I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the Father so that I can send the Spirit. The Spirit cannot come until I'm lifted up on the cross, in the resurrection, and the ascension. And then, seated at the Father's right hand, I am going to send the Spirit. When we are born again, Holy Spirit comes in us. 
Do you agree that Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And a view of the Trinity is they're exactly the same in essence. So Jesus says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he talks about the Spirit, and we shall come and be in you. When we're born again, God takes up residence by Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you know that you have God in you? It, Holy Spirit is not a power. He's a source of power, but it's a person. The Trinity, part of the Trinity is in you. The argument was if Jesus had, was out of his deity, he did miracles. That's how he did them. And you say, well, but we're human. We can't expect that. No, we're not merely human. We are born again. We have God in us. Now, if you really believe God is in you, the same, exact same as the Son and the Father, the Spirit is in you. He's not void of his power. That's one of the issues about the incarnation. God was still in Jesus, and he didn't lose his power. And so God in me, God in you, we actually have authority and power. He said, all authority has been given to me. And he talks about giving us power and authority if we believe. It's for today. It's God's calling card to evangelism. And wherever the church is growing the fastest in the world, it's where there is lots of people being healed and delivered through the church. Not just a few of the church, but by the people of the church. A famous uh, historian, secular historian of Yale University wanted to find out how did the early church grow so rapidly. So he wrote a book on the Christianization of the Roman Empire. And again, this is not a church, not a seminary history, church history professor. This is a secular historian of Yale, and he discovered to his surprise something he did not anticipate. He thought it would be the philosophy, the great preaching of the church. He discovered that the number one way the Europe became Christianized was the power to heal the sick through the average people that made up the church and the authority to deliver. As we're becoming more and more and more post-Christian in our secular society and we're opening ourselves, or people are opening themselves up more and more to demonic power, we're going to see a greater and greater and greater need for deliverance once again in our society. And you can bring glory to the Father. And Jesus in John 17 talks about they brought glory. The disciples had brought glory to him. We bring glory. So here's the issue. Sometimes people say, you charismatics, you Pentecostals, um, you're kind of flaky. You're, you're more shallow. And I'd like to say, no, we're the ones that's actually picked up the cross of discipleship of Luke 9, 23, where Jesus said, if anyone would be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Because in America, 
one of the few places where there's a price tag or pain associated with discipleship, it's in the ministry of healing. And it's the disappointment when your loved one or friend or member of your church, when, or even a key leader and maybe even in the church, is not healed. It's painful. Most of the people who do not pray for the sick who used to quit because of this issue of the emotional pain associated with the part of the gospel that deals with healing. That's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not just for the power aspect of the filling and baptism of the Spirit, because I believe, as John Wesley did and many others, there's two things that were powerfully happening when we're filled and baptized or baptized with the Holy Spirit. One is power, and the second is love. God's love, a holy love, a agape love. And sometimes when we're praying for people and we're not seeing what we want to see, we're not experiencing the power, there's a tendency to easily lay this cross down. I don't want to carry this. This, this, this is difficult. I don't, this is not fun. We're laying our cross down. But if we're baptized with the Spirit and full of God's love, we won't lay it down nearly as quickly. And that's why I make no apologies for emphasizing the need for God's people to be filled, to be baptized, not only to be born of the Spirit and sealed by the Spirit, but to experience this fullness of God coming to enable us to accomplish what can't be accomplished in our humanity. So, Real quick, while I'm out working in this area, the poor area of the, of the community I was in, I met, I didn't know that she was the number one prostitute in, in the community. I was new. <laughs> I didn't know that her name was Kitty. And uh, uh, long story short, we ended up seeing Kitty accept salvation, save Jesus. It happened because uh, uh, God did some divine appointments and her nine-year-old, 10-year-old son said, I'd like to go to that. We did a watermelon fest for the poor. And he said, I want to go to that guy's church. And he said, we lived several miles away. And she said, well, if I ever see him, I'll ask him to come pick us up, you know, because they didn't have a car. And she had a little boy and a little girl. And, and the next day, I happened to be in a 7-Eleven. She's coming out, and I'm coming in. And she's, why are you here? <laughs> Which I was almost never in that particular area. And ended up, long story short, she started getting, I had one of the women at our church pick her up, and she was an alcoholic. And I found out, see, sometimes we, we see the sinner, but we don't know why they are where they are. I found out as we got to know her that she, at, at, as a like 12-year-old girl, she was gang raped by her sister's boyfriend and his gang. Her parents were alcoholic. She really didn't know what unconditional love was. And for quite some time, she tested the church. Will we love her? You know, it's time for a home meeting, and she'd call drunk. And we'd say, we'll send somebody to come get you. We wouldn't stop loving on her. 
And one day coming home on a ride home, she screamed, stop the car, stop the car. My friend pulled the car over and she put it in park and Kitty jumped out of the car, there's a park right here, and started running through the park. I can't believe it, I can't believe it. So fine. long story short, she's been blind in that eye because she had hit by lightning, caused her to go blind. On the way home, without any prayer for her eye to be healed, God healed her. It just, like that, the eye opened and sight came back. And she's not saved yet. <laughs> we could say she had some sin in her life. She went to church once, though, before that. She tried church. Do you know many sinners have tried church? She went to church once with her two children, conceived out of wedlock. It's a holiness church. I don't know why she chose that. She didn't know the difference. And she had gone to the ladies' room, and she's coming out. Good to see you. She's coming out, and... She comes around the corner. She hears two church ladies talking to each other. What's our church coming to? And we let this whore of her bastard children bring them into our church. So she went, first time to ever go to church. She went to the nursery, got her children, and left and never went back to another church. That was her experience of church. I remember when I picked her up, she, she didn't, I didn't tell her I was a pastor. I first picked her up. I had two ladies with me. I said, I, don't want, to, I want you to understand. I, I picked her up, but not in the way you might be thinking. <laughs> she, the day I baptized her, she looked like she was pregnant again, like six, seven months. And I'm thinking, that's under the blood. Matter of fact, the one that brought her to the Lord was God gave me a word of knowledge that there was someone in our church. I didn't know it was her. Someone in our church, you had an abortion and you have trouble forgiving yourself. God wants to know he will forgive you. I had no clue who that was for. And at the end of the service, she waited, everybody's gone. She said, how did you know that? How did you? And she was mad. Who told you? Nobody could have told you. I didn't tell anybody. How did you know? I said, I didn't know. I didn't know it was you. But he will forgive you. And that's what really brought her deeply under conviction. She gets saved. But, you know, I'm getting ready to do the baptism. I'm thinking, well, she slipped up again. Our mace could have happened months ago anyway, before she got saved. We're for, you know, we'll help her. We'll help her with the kids. She came out of, after we baptized, and I had to lay hands on and pray for him, be filled with the Holy Spirit right after baptism. And, 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 and so these pants that were really tight, you know, because she was big, they're loose now. She's holding them out like that. I said, look. I said, I don't want to look. <laughs> no, no, I want you to look. No, I don't want to look. And said, no, look. And she said, would you just look how big these are? And I, I said, yeah, yeah, those are big. <laughs> and she said, I had another tumor. I had a large tumor. Next, this coming week, I'm supposed, I'm supposed to have surgery to have this big fibroid tumor in her uterus removed. She said, the moment you baptized me, it instantly disappeared. Now, that's the only healing I'm aware of I've ever had in the baptismal waters, but it was a good one. God is alive. In, uh, in, in, in 33 seconds, okay. I want to tell you about Charlie. Charlie had been saved, but he, let me, let me start over. 
Charlie, two weeks before, had been justified in my church. I wasn't there. I was on a road. First time I met him. Charlie had accepted Jesus, put right, reckoned right, justified. But Charlie's a brand new believer and doesn't know there's a whole lot of stuff in his life that needs sanctifying. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not that he's rebellious. It's just sins of ignorance. And he doesn't know there's a lot of stuff that's still got to line up. And, and God will take care of that. And I've been telling people, God's going to start healing us just as we worship with no one touching you. And Charlie is a you know, new believer. He's got his hands up because that's what we do. And he had his hands up during worship. And all of a sudden, he saw a fireball come. And, and by the way, the guy, Hughes Auditorium in Asbury Seminary is written, was dedicated to a guy when he was sanctified, saw a fireball come that gave him power and glory. And I, I, I've, I've read, but I can't find it in the Bible, but I've read of powerful people that powerfully used to God had this experience of seeing a fireball come. He, and the first time I heard about it though. So he said, it came, hit me in the head, went down my spine. Now, Charlie, for seven years, had stood like this. He was 28 years old. At 21, he is in a car accident. He had a metal cage. The material was deteriorating. It's coming loose. No one wants to deal with it. And he's not been able to play or raise up his kids or anything for seven years. And that morning, when that fireball hit him, I, I was taking communion because uh, we took communion during worship and his girlfriend, fiance came. I went outside and Charlie's doing this. He's, I don't get it. He's shaking all over the power of God's and he's doing this little circle. I don't get it. I don't get it. I said, what? He said, you don't get it. I said, I know I don't. What? And then he told me about how he had been healed. And I brought him in and he gave his testimony. It was one of the funny things though. He worked in, in retail and he called me several weeks later. He said, Randy, how long is this going to last? I said, what are you talking about? He said, you know, that day I got healed, I started shaking all over. I work in retail. Sometimes I'm in the, in the window. I'm putting the stuff on the mannequins and stuff. And all of a sudden I feel, I know when it's getting ready to happen. I run to the bathroom and close the stall. And I just stand there and I shake. And it lasts sometimes up to five minutes and then it's over. How long is this going to last? I said, I don't know, Charlie, but enjoy. Charlie, Kitty, and I could have told many more. I actually have five stories I'm not telling. Are examples of people who the church has said they don't, that God's not going to heal them. They don't meet the conditions. They don't have faith. Kitty didn't. Not Kitty, the woman before, by the way, her name was Terry the one that had the tumor. But God healed him. He will heal more than we think. There's a mystery. I don't understand it. But I want to encourage you. God can use little old you. God is in you. It is truly God in you. Holy Spirit is in you. He's just like Jesus. Jesus liked to heal the sick. So does Holy Spirit. Let him out. Give him a chance. It's exciting. It really is exciting to realize that slight impression that led you to do. That really was God. The God of the universe is talking to you. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. 
we upload weekly. So join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.